0: Morning. It's really great to be back. It's good to see you guys. I missed you guys. I I missed being here at church. We were super grateful for the time that we had that was afforded to us. It was Very timely, obviously, with circumstances in our family that uh, some time off was really good. Uh, God in His goodness had provided for that even prior to. I was already scheduled to take sabbatical the month of July, but it certainly proved itself to be really timely in our lives, and um, I'm thankful for it. I can't imagine having tried to help anybody else to try to stand up when I was trying to stand up myself. Um, and so we appreciate that time. We're, we're grateful for it. We're grateful that you've given us that time of rest. And so I'm going to talk about rest a little bit here today. Um, if you're new, if you're new either online or here this morning, and I haven't got to catch up with you, um, I just want to say that I'm, I'm uh, really glad that you're here worshiping with us. Maybe you've been here for a little bit and I haven't just got the chance to to meet you yet. I have actually been in the office for a few weeks now. I I just snuck off to men's backpacking trip the first Sunday and then to church camp out the next Sunday. So, um, you know, that's kind of a tough part of my job is that I get to sneak off and do some of those kinds of things. But we did have a great time up at uh, the men's backpacking trip. We, we, we We went ahead and instead of doing cloud, we agreed just to go do bomber mountain, and we, we climbed up to where the wreckage is at from a bomber that had wrecked into the mountain in 1943, and uh, they didn't find the wreckage, they didn't even know where it went for two years. It, it, uh, they basically had taken off from Oregon, their destination was, um, was Nebraska, and they were supposed to fly with two bombers, uh, they won the, the one that didn't make it was 10 minutes late, and so the other one took off, it arrived in Nebraska, the other one did not had a crew of 10 people on it, and it slammed into that mountain. The oldest, the eldest person on the plane, the captain of the plane, was 25 years old. Everybody else was about 22, 19 years old. So it was just kind of powerful, even, just to climb up there and to see just this wreckage that was just scattered all over the mountain. It was, a, it was really a neat trip, and uh, so uh, we, we were thankful. We had a good time, just a good time of fellowship together, too, and prayer and thoughtfulness, and... Um, we met a group that was up there that was doing some men's ministry stuff. They were really cool brothers and stuff. They, they were doing men's ministries, and they were a Pentecostal bunch. And so I said, hey, you know, let me, let's pray together, you know. So I started praying, and then everybody so You couldn't even tell who was praying at that point, right? Everybody was just <laughs> burst into it. It was awesome, though. It was great. They were cool brothers. And so it was, uh, it was really a good time. Uh, Camp, Camp out went really well as also. We had a great time of fellowship there together, a lot of people camping. And uh, so next year, if you can put it on your schedule, uh, show up for church camp out. Um, so after this week, I find it a little bit ironic to even discuss the topic of rest because with the concert, you may go to the concert. Yeah, it was pretty good, huh? I thought it went off really well, the weather. Maybe held us off for maybe what we could have had people-wise, but I think we still had roughly, I bet we had close to 700 or 700 by the time it was really full, so it was cool. It was an awesome day. It's a long, long day. It was about a 17-hour day, um, or Friday, and then up at 4 a.m. to get those guys to the airport to fly out. So finding rest is something that I tried to do a little bit yesterday, for sure. But in this world that we live in, it's a fast-paced, bigger, better, more world, and we find ourselves striving to be somebody, to be identified as somebody. And this world that we live in um, challenges us, as a matter of fact. It's constantly challenging our contentment, our idea of contentment. And we tend to be a people who live in this spot of saying, I'll be content when right? Which is the antithesis to contentment. You've heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. That is not contentment. Contentment can only be found in the present, and we're either content or we are not. But in this world, social media, our relationships, our family, um, advertising, all of these things challenge us. They push us into a place of not being content, and they begin to rob from us the rest that God really intends for us to live in, the kind of rest that he wants us to have. It's pretty hard to find rest in this world lest your status be demoted, right? Lest you become less because you're not performing up to other people's standards or what the world says, who you ought to be or what that looks like. So let's just read here a little bit in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 says, "'Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest "'still stands, let us fear, "'lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. "'For good news came to us just as to them, "'but the message they heard did not benefit them, "'because they were not united by faith "'with those who listened. "'For we, for we who have believed enter that rest,' as he said. "'As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest.'" For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, there's this concept of rest that, that God has for us. Let's go back through this, and let's kind of flesh this out just a little bit, and let's, uh, let's think about this. It begins by telling us, therefore, and remember, when there's a therefore, it's therefore for a reason, and it's speaking back into chapter 3, in which uh, they're talking about the idea that, that, that even though that they were heading for this land of promise, not all would enter because of disobedience. And so, therefore, it says there is a promise, there is a promise of entering his rest, and it still stands. So, there's this open invitation to people to come into God's rest. And God's rest and God's peace are very different than what the world offers. Jesus said that he left us a peace, but that that peace is different than what the world offers. God's rest is very different, it's not a day off, it's not a vacation. It's not an app. It's something very different than that. And we're going to talk about that. But it says, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's the idea again, and the Bible constantly takes us back to this idea of the fear of the Lord, that the fear of the Lord has a result in our lives. When we put fear in its right place, which is on God, remember Jesus told us not to fear man, not to fear people but to fear him who could destroy both the body and the spirit, right? It's this idea that we need to take fear and we need to put it in its right place. See, we're a fearful people and we're fearful of a lot of things. And we're fearful of a lot of things that really rob us of the rest and the contentment that God has for us. You see, but when we place our fear in God and we begin to understand the reality of who God is, the power that God wields, that he's the creator and the sustainer of all things, that he is the one who one day will stand upon this earth and proclaim victory, just like we sang this morning, that he will be right and we will all be in agreement that God, yes, you are victorious and that you are right And that nothing challenges your power and who you are and everything about the difficulty and the hardships that we faced in this life will somehow begin to make sense because we will see the reality of how God has woven all of our pain and all of our difficulties and the struggles that we've lived in together and that he's made something beautiful out of it, something that we could have never guessed something that we could have never put together by our own imagination or thought. And so when we take the fear that we should place and we place it in the right place, which is on God, it begins to alleviate and undermine and take away the unfounded fears that live in our hearts and in our minds. It begins to eradicate those because when we have a right understanding of who we are, what our identity is, what our position is, what authority has been given to believers then if God is for us, then who could ever be against us? What could ever stand against us? If we stand and we serve and we are held in the righteous right hand of an all-powerful God, then nothing can take you out of that. Nothing can harm you ultimately, right? So, so when we take our eyes off of the present world here, the world that we live in, the temporal world, and we begin to place them above the line into the eternal, right? into God's bigger picture, then we can begin to find a rest that he has for us. And when that fear is on God, then it's not on man. It's not in our identity. It's not on who we are or or whether we're living up to everybody's expectations or if we're doing all of the right things or we're being good enough or that we're balancing out the scales. All of those things begin to be alleviated because when we have an awe and a respect and an understanding of the gospel, this good news And we understand that we're not talking about an economy of works, that we're not defined by what we've done. We're defined by what has been done for us, right? And so let us put our fear of God, let us become once again a God-fearing church, to recognize the reality that when God says it, it's true. And if he said it, then we need to follow it. And if he set forth a standard for us to live by, then it's for our good, And it's the very thing that we as a people need to walk in. And as we walk in that, we'll actually begin to walk in the freedom and the goodness and the plans and the purpose and the fulfillment that only God can bring to us. Because it goes on to say, and it's this idea again, that he is God. And this is where we start. As we did the, the, the concert yesterday, I got to do the part about for God, right? We did for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I got to start with for God because it all begins and it all ends with him. It's really not even about us. It's about a God who knew you and loved you and creatively thought you up and brought you into existence and now says that he will carry you into eternity with him. This is who it's about. The more I get into this, the more I understand about this, the deeper I go, the more I understand it's all about God. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. It's this good news that faith and belief equal rest. It's faith and belief. It's not belief alone, right? I mean, we, could, we, we can do the old chair analogy, right? We can take belief, right? And we can look at this stool, right? And we could believe that that stool would hold us up. We could look at all of the, the structure of it. We could make sure the screws were all in place. We could send the design of this to some kind of a computer or something, and it could analyze it and send it back and tell us exactly how much weight this thing could handle. We could believe that this chair would hold us up. But it's about belief coupled with faith. Belief isn't enough. People believe all kinds of things, right? It's right belief coupled with right faith. It's sitting in the chair and allowing this chair to hold you up. This is the means by which salvation happens. It's when we sit in God's work, in His finished, accomplished work on the cross for us. It's this place where where we begin to recognize the reality that what we believe dictates our actions. There is no action that happens apart from belief. We first believe, we think a thought, that thought is processed through our beliefs, through the lens of our beliefs, and then it becomes an action or an outcome in our lives. So what we believe is important, it's incredibly important what we believe because what we believe drives our actions. It drives our giving, it, 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 it drives our service to others, it drives how we operate within the community of the church. It operates how we operate within the community of Sheridan. Everything about what we believe really has to go ultimately through the lens of God's Word so that we're believing correctly, right? Because we believe it, but if it's in contradiction to God's Word, we need to take that and begin to agree with God and adjust our beliefs. You see, if I say anything up here, And I'll hold me to this anytime. If I ever say anything that is contradictory to what God's word says, I'm happy to have a conversation with with you about it. And if you can show me from scripture what God says, I'll change what I believe because I am not the authority. God's word is my authority. And so therefore, if I'm wrong, I'm a guy. I could be wrong. I don't have a problem with that, but I wanna see scripture. I don't wanna hear what you think. See what I'm saying? That's the deal. Because my standard and my authority is God's word. See, real rest is entering into God's rest and completely exiting the rest that the world says it has for you. It's about throwing the whole system away and adopting God's good system. It says, for he has... Somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. God rested on the seventh day. Remember, God rested on the seventh day after having said, it was very good. It was very good. Up until that time, he had created, there was a morning and evening, well, before he said it was very good, it was good morning and evening. He created, it was good, morning and evening. He created, it was good, morning and evening. There was a beginning and there was an end to each one of these days of creation. But when we get to the seventh day, there's no morning or evening. It's an open ended rest. And this rest doesn't mean that God was tired. Was God tired? No, we know He wasn't tired. Why? Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Remember, this is a psalm of ascent. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. It all begins and ends with God. God knows the number of all of our days. This is a reality. He knows the number of days that each one of us have on this earth and he knows the good plan that he has within that. You see, seven, it's the seventh day, and seven is associated with the idea of completeness or spiritual completeness or perfection. As a matter of fact, God set up cycles of seven for his people. There was one day out of seven days that they were given to rest, to Sabbath, to Shabbat, right? There were seven festivals given throughout the year for them to celebrate, to come together in community and to enjoy one another and remember what God had done. There were, uh, every seven years, the land was to be left fallow, open, right? It's a farming principle that's a really good one, right? Slaves were to be set free and debts were to be forgiven every seven years, right? It was this picture. And then after seven Shabbats times seven years, 49 years, then the year after that became the year of Jubilee, in which all of the land went back to its previous owners, might kind of be God's little checkmate on runaway capitalism. You know what I mean? Just saying. Um, this is God's economy, and these are things that God has put in place for his people. But when it says that God rested, it doesn't mean that he was tired. It means that he simply ceased from his work, that he desisted from his work, that his work was complete, and it was good. Not only good, he proclaimed it to be very good at that point, and he rested. And Adam... As he's created on the sixth day and Eve, the very first thing that they did was to rest in what God had done. To rest in his works, not their works. See, and we're gonna talk about this next week because we're gonna move from rest into the practice of Sabbath next week. It's a perpetual rest that God offered to Adam and Eve and it's a rest though that not on God's end but on their end was broken in the fall. And then what happened? They were left to this kind of this chaos and this work of their own and this, this thing where as they worked and toiled and did the different things, that weeds were coming up and there was difficulties. There's difficulties in relationship and weeds and all of these different problems that were popping up. And this is the world that we live in. But there is a rest that God still offers. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So Joshua was all about the promised land, right? It was all about the entrance into the promised land. And God had told them this very thing about the promised land, uh, Remember the word that Moses, it's going back to Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, the Lord your God is providing you with a place of rest and will give you this land. Well, what is this, what is the, this land, this promised land? It's a, it's a picture, it's a type, really, of heaven and the rest that God would give us. The idea of a land is the idea of, of entering into a place that's a home. What do you think about when you think about home? You think about Security. You think about rest. You think about, I'm going to go home and I'm going to rest. It's a place of rest. It's a place of security. It's the picture of God offering his people in this place that through their obedience and through his work, not theirs, that they could enter into this place. And so while they had work to do in the middle of it, it was all about God and it was all about trusting in God and what he would do through them even and in them, even as they went on the conquest as they entered into the promised land. It was all about the power of God in them and through them, not about their own abilities. So this physical land, it represented a home, it represented security. It was the very opposite of being a slave in a foreign land right and this is really where we find ourselves to many degrees is that we are kind of we we can be enslaved we can be entrapped into this foreign land this place that really isn't our home you know we we say that a lot right this isn't your home and it kind of but that's kind of not true this kind of is our home earth is our home earth was created for us and one day jesus will stand like i said victoriously on this earth and we will all proclaim that he was right And he will purge everything that was evil and all of the good things, the very good things that he created will remain. And we will stand and we will rise from the dead and we will stand in glorified body. This is the hope of the church. This is the reality of the church. And without this hope, I don't know what I would even do right now to be honest with you. The hope is in the victory that we will stand upon this earth and we will proclaim God to be right and we will stand in victory alongside of him And we will do so forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Thank you for the amen. Let's let's do more of those amens, right? Amen. So it goes on to say, since therefore, oh, wait, yep. Since therefore, it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's this idea that God has offered us this place of Sabbath rest. It's a place, it's a sacred place, it's a set-apart place for rest for God's people. It's where we rest from our works and we rest in his complete and perfect work, right? And since it remains for some of those to remain, this is the reason why we're still here. You're still here, church, because you have a message. You have the greatest message that has ever been given to humanity, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you can have hope, that you can have rest, that the reality of this world isn't about who you are or what you're doing or how good you are. Getting to heaven has nothing to do with how good you are or how bad you've been. It has everything to do with the completed work of Christ on the cross. This is our place of rest. And out of that though, but out of that, when we have a right recognition of that, when we have a right response to that, when the fear of the Lord is the reality of our lives, then that moves us to live our lives that whatever we should find ourselves doing, we do it all for the glory of God, right? Everything, whatever we do, we wake up, we thank God for the breath, we, 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 we recognize. I mean, the Jewish people got up every morning and they said, they said uh, to, love, your Lord, to love, your, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. What a great prayer to start your day with every day to just start and say, I am going to love you first, God, See, because it all has to begin with him. We can get up and we can say, well, I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. But if you don't love God first, you won't fulfill it in the way that God intends. It'll just be about your good works. It'll just be about your self-elevation. It'll just be about you looking good before men. And Jesus was pretty plain in saying that if that's your intention, if that's the motive of your heart, then you'll have your reward here instead of there right? But when we love God right and we live in that rest, then we can rightly serve God. But today, if you've never done it, if you've never entered that rest, maybe your life is full of some difficulties or chaos, or you've been trying to please everybody, or you've thought it was all about being good. Let me tell you that it's about God making you good. It's about just coming before him with the, with the recognition of who he is and who we are in relationship to him. You see, the day my life changed was the day that I said, God, I don't know who you are, but I want to know who you are and I want to serve you. That's the day my life changed. You know what happened next? I heard the gospel and despite, I'm telling you, if you would have known, if you'd, well, you, well, you can find stories around Sharon because I've been around here 30 years. It won't be hard. But I can't believe I became a Christian. I can't. I would have been anything else, anything but a Christian. I didn't. I like you guys now, but I didn't like you then. That's just the truth. So don't harden your heart because there's only one thing that can keep you out of the kingdom. It's your disobedience hard heart against the gospel, against the loving God who's given everything so that you can enter this rest, so that you can come in. There's only one thing that could ever keep you out, and it's you. It's not him. For God so loved the world that he gave, he is a giver, and he's offered this to whosoever would believe in him, in the son, and in the work of this. And so this is where we end, right? Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let us strive not by being good people. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good people. I can't remember who said this, but I like it. He came to make dead people alive, okay? This is the thing. Jesus is not calling you to go out there and do a bunch of good stuff. You know what he's calling you to do? He's calling you to come and to enter into that rest, to abide in him and him in you, that we might truly be a disciple, that the source of our strength and the source of our works, that the source of the things that we do would be him, not us. It's not about self-effort. It's not about the self-will. The self-will will will leave you short each and every time. And don't fool anybody because you're sure not gonna fool God. You're not really gonna fool you and you're not gonna fool God either. So we gotta understand, and this is where that fear of God God comes in, that this is the reality, that there's, there's nothing that gets past him. He understands the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Nothing is hidden from his sight. Everyone is naked and exposed before him. You see, this was the state of Adam and Eve, right? After they they fell, they were like, oh my gosh, we're naked. We're exposed before a holy and perfect God. Something has happened in our relationship. Let's cover it up ourselves with a little leaf. Let's put on some fig leaves here. Problem with fig leaves is if we were all sitting around here in fig leaves right now, we wouldn't feel very covered, would we? We'd feel pretty exposed right? There'd be a reality of the exposure this before us. This is why God then has this picture of what he did. It says that he killed animals, basically, and he took the skins of those animals and he provided a covering for them that was adequate for them, that truly covered them. And so there was innocent life that was lost and bloodshed for them to have a covering that would cover them. This is the gospel, Matthew 11, 28, and 29, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus didn't come to offer us a day off, a nap, or a vacation. We all know that those things don't always even provide rest, right? Sometimes you get off a vacation and you need a vacation from the vacation right? And it's not just a day off either. It's not this legalistic thing where we're like, I take Sabbath every year." Okay, that's great. That's a good practice, and we're going to talk about that. But I'm going to tell you that what we're, not ta- what we're talking about is that we're talking about a depth of rest. You see, if you're going to sleep, and we all need sleep, you need real sleep. You can, take, you can sleep a lot. You can sleep for an hour at a time throughout a 24-hour period, and you can sleep eight hours, and it won't be enough. You know why? Because you need a certain kind of sleep. You need REM sleep, right? They call it. You, You need to enter into a place of deep rest, not shallow rest. You need REM. We need spiritual REM. We need to enter into this place of rest for real, and we need to receive that. You see, Jesus came to restore the rest that we had before the fall. He came to rescue us from the bondage that we had subjected ourselves to. He's come to free our minds from the idea that I am what I do. He has come to set us into meaningful, soul-resting work that has the benefit of fulfilling us and reminding us that our identity is found in His perfect, completed works and that we can trust in that. So... That's the message. That's the message of the kind of rest that God is calling us to. This is the rest that he offers. And it's a deep spiritual REM rest that we can have that modifies how we think and who we are and how we operate in this world. But you see, we've got to engage it. And when it says to strive, it doesn't mean to work hard at doing good stuff. It means to strive against the things that keep you out of that to strive against the things that keep you sleeping spiritually for an hour at a time throughout a 24-hour period, leaving you totally exhausted and unfulfilled. So before we pray, um, next week we'll add something practical to it a little bit, which is really starting to think about a day of Sabbath, a day of rest, and what that could look like for us. So let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you offer a rest that the world doesn't offer, that your economy isn't based on how good we are or what we've done or how cool we are or what our status here on earth is. It has nothing to do with our bank accounts, how big our home is, how cool our car is. It has everything to do with you and who you are and that this is an equal playing field that is available to whosoever would put down their own disobedience, their own way, and would believe and in faith trust you for their eternity. So Lord, if there's anybody here who hasn't done that this day, I pray that they would understand that today, today is the day of salvation, that today is the day that God is knocking on their door. And I pray that the response to that would be just that very thing, that they would say no to the things of this world and that they would say yes to you, that they would believe and to know that that, that in simply making that transfer of faith out of ourselves and our own works and the things of this world and what we believe into what you tell us, who you tell us we are, what you tell us about yourself, and how you tell us to be saved is is simply the means of entering into that kingdom and into that rest that you offer for us for all eternity. So Lord, and I pray too for the believers that are in here who are either striving to just be, work hard and to look good before one another or feeling that they're not living up to these things or that they're somehow less than because they're not performing well enough, I hope that we would all just rest in the reality that that's not how we do this. We, we do it only by plugging into the source, that we would recognize that, that we could plug one of these amps in here and, or we could look at one of these amps and, and we could do, twist all kinds of, of knobs and dials and things like that, but there would be no music that came out of it unless it was plugged in until so it was plugged into a source of, of power. So Lord, I pray for every identity in here, of every believer that they would know that they are plugged into you, that they have hope and identity and meaning and purpose in this life because you've said so. And so Lord, we just give it all to you. We pray over our day. We pray over our church and our community, Lord. We pray over the future that you have for each one of us. And we pray, Lord, that we would just be wholly surrendered to the things of you, that we would rest in your victory. And we would rest in your complete and perfect work. In Jesus' name, amen.